I'm curious thing is that I had enough Pavami to uh, twice by a German translation of uh, suttas of the Buddha, the original teaching of the Buddha. Uh, once when I was about 17 in school and we did uh, Buddhism in school. And once when I was about 22, five years later, and I bought that as a tree book in an East uh, German, in East Berlin, in a bookshop, because I had such tree books. So somehow the power of me were enough to uh, buy that, but somehow it didn't click. I was reading in there, but it didn't really hit home. Uh, it's not that I disliked it, but uh, somehow it didn't fully connect at that time, and then happened only later at about age 27, and I read the Dhammapada, and it did finally click. And I think one reason why it didn't fully click at the first two attempts is that often the Buddha is not very uh, technical in his explanations, and at that time I didn't fully appreciate that. Uh, for example, if you look at how the Buddha tells you know, how to attain samadhi in a inverted commas, there's a often repeated uh, sequence. Unfortunately, uh, the frequency of this repetition is often diminished because in modern editions, you know, in the translations even more so, you know, they're abbreviating a lot. And then we sometimes may not uh, fully get anymore how important it is. If something is uh, repeated many, many times, in a tradition where you have to learn by heart, that obviously means that part is really important. But like uh, in the Dika Nikaya, from Sutta 2 to about 13, and there's a whole pattern of the gradual training, but it's of course only fully written out once, and then in the other suttas, now they just abbreviate it and refer back. And so for the casual reader, uh, they may not fully grasp how important that is that the Buddha considered it so uh, essential and he would constantly repeat it. And in the gradual training, the description is usually that uh, a monk, having gone into solitude, in a tree, a, a ravine, a mountain gorge, a cave, and so on, on the mountain, that they then work in abandoning the five hindrances. And when a person has abandoned the five hindrances, then they will experience paramodra, uh, which we could translate as gladness. And someone experiences gladness, uh, will develop rapture, piti. Someone with a rapture in the mind will experience bodily tranquility. You know, the body will become completely tranquil, completely relaxed. Pasata kayo sokang vidhiti. The tranquil body will feel bliss. And Sukino Chitang Samadhiati. And to someone blissful, they will 
unify their mind in samadhi. This is just not very technical, isn't it? Yes, if you had uh, instructions like uh, yoga, I did some yoga, and you have got a huge variety of different asanas, and then you can train how to stretch your body here and there. And they even had this uh, pranayama, and you count the seconds, and you close this nostril and that nostril, and both nostrils, and so many seconds here and there. It appears like a much more concrete instruction, whereas this one, uh, somehow, I didn't quite fully get it in the beginning in its uh, profundity. But uh, now I uh, really appreciate it. It's a very uh, excellent way of describing how to get to samadhi because I don't think you can really get there just by any technique. It has to go in a way these steps which the Buddha described. It doesn't necessarily uh, have to be triggered by or you don't have to work you know, on the five hindrances directly. You can also, for example, listen to Dhamma. Listening to Dhamma is another occasion that can trigger these sequence, you know, but we have to go through this sequence. Pamodjang Jayati, Pamuditasa, Piti Jayati, Piti Manasa, Kayo, Pasambhati, Pasate Kayo, Sukang Videti, Sukino Chitang, Samadhiyati. I repeat it both in Pali and in English because it's so important and the Buddha repeated it many times. Um, gladness is born, gladness arises. Uh, from the gladness comes rapture. Rapturous mind will lead to the full tranquility, relaxation of the body. The relaxed, tranquil body experiences bliss and uh, to some, uh, someone blissful never be able to unify their mind. And uh, listening to Dhamma can trigger that. Uh, reflecting on the Buddha can trigger that. Of course, you know, the different meditation objects we have been given can trigger that. So the Buddha cannot uh, possibly be in account every single meditation object in one sutta that, in one sutta that can initiate that sequence. But if you look at other suttas, then you get all kinds of examples of different meditation objects and different activities that can generate that joy. And Lady Visaka described that when she reflects of the, uh, about the benefits of uh, generosity and how um, monks and nuns uh, who attained full liberation did so being supported by her generosity and then she would feel that great gladness and so on, gladness, rapture, tranquility, bliss, samadhi. And uh, reflecting on the Buddha and gaining inspiration in the meaning, gaining inspiration in the Dhamma gaining enthusiasm for the goal, gaining enthusiasm for the Dhamma. And again, the Paramutra will be there. Of course, we also need a little bit more concrete meditation object to just being told that you should develop gladness and for first abandoning the hindrances and that wouldn't be quite enough. And the Buddha does give us quite a wide range 
of different meditation objects. The very common ones taught nowadays is mindfulness of the breath, loving kindness, recollecting the Buddha. These ones are particularly suitable to generate that rapture and bliss, but even contemplating the impermanence of the body, contemplating the decay of one's own body, or the decay you know, of an external corpse, or just mentally taking you know, the different body parts, and separating the different body parts mentally, and separating the body into its constituent parts, whether it's the 32 you know, organs and different liquids and so on, or whether it is the four elements, now that can also trigger great joy when one contemplates that this is actually not me and uh, something that is not me anyhow, which is only four elements and impermanent and vanishing. And then I also joy can arise. So for sure we have to work on our meditation objects and hammer away on that one. But important, they never forget this sequence. Now that is what has to come out of that. In the end, it's not just like when you fiddle around technical instruction, how do you get the thread into the needle ear and then you do that. It's not just so technical. There has to be that gladness. And obviously one can support that if one knows that. Then one can do the same meditation object, but already... Uh, with a particular training of one's perception, with the training of one's feeling, the training of one's emotion. The point is not just uh, mentally staying with a certain meditation object, uh, the feeling of the breath at the tip of the nose or the tip of the upper lip or whatever. And uh, not wrong to do that, but the whole point is uh, that it should lead to gladness and rapture and tranquility and bliss. And if you are sitting there and you know, just grumpily uh, doing that, it will really not work. If you are sitting there and uh, nodding and falling asleep, it will not work. Sleep is far away from gladness, rapture and bliss. It's not so far away from tranquility. <laughs> but it's not the tranquility the Buddha means there and is a very deep uh, body relaxation, which, in, at least in my opinion, is a, a major reason that people can meditate all night and get up in the morning and start walking and their knees are still functioning and their hips and so on. They haven't done uh, permanent damage to their bones and joints because the tranquility is not so deep that the body can then do it. So it's very uh, good and helpful you know, to be aware of that already and develop uh, the perception of, of gladness already while we are settling down at the meditation object. Well, the faculty of perception can be trained. One can train oneself not to enjoy a certain particular activity or to hate it. <laughs> Most people hate cleaning the toilets. It just occurred to me uh, Ian Stevenson, when he talks about these kids who remember their past lives, 
and he had some cases in India, and they had this. She had this little girl who was born in a, a Brahmin family, and this is also decades ago, when that was really still strong in India. And for Brahmins, it's very degrading to do physical work. That's not the idea. No, they're only the ritualistic specialists, or maybe they do farming. But uh, this little girl took great delight in cleaning toilets, which is considered uh, extremely ritualistic polluting, in particular for a Brahman family, and they just couldn't figure out what's going on there. They could definitely not have picked it up in their family. They, they were all completely horrified, but this little girl really enjoyed that. And she could remember her life, that was her job. She was in one of the lower cars and she had to do these activities and from the long habit she actually enjoyed it as a kid. And that is the bit rougher way of cleaning toilets than we do nowadays with rubber gloves and very hygienic toilets anyhow. And just as an example, I was very intrigued uh, looking back. There were very strong um, uh, views and uh, opinions on what kind of music is cool when I was a teenager, even a little bit more into uni time. And uh, you know, certain things you would be really looked down upon if you liked that kind of music. It was considered extremely uncool. I finally shook myself free from that, and uh, when I lived as a student in Berlin, I, I bought me a album, double album CD of uh, ABBA Greatest Hits. I think it was in 87, 1987, to listen to ABBA in Berlin, and the cool scene, it was like a social death almost. <laughs> Just like in the 19th century, you know, when they had these honor codes, and someone uh, offends you by insulting you in public and it can only be, your honor can only be cleared by going through a duel and otherwise you would be shunned in polite society for the rest of your life and no one would talk to you anymore <laughs> I mean not quite so extreme I was pretty extreme and uh, earlier on then I sometimes uh, kind of tried to like music which was considered cool in my social group and uh, to some extent, I succeeded in liking some music which I actually don't like, and disliking some music which I actually like. And this is, I think, a fairly extreme example because music is so strong in, in the effect it has on us in terms of the feeling Vedana. And still, you can train yourself with a strong um, approval or disapproval. Another, even more unwholesome. Example would be in a, a drinking beer, and I can remember that I found the taste uh, uh, horrible <laughs> first tried beer as a child, not surprisingly. But then so many people train themselves you know, to uh, like that taste, which is quite bitter and, and I think not naturally attractive. And so on, I think we can find many more examples. It's also known in cultural anthropology you know, that the perception of beauty you know, is a very, very conditioned. Even perception of colors, that is one I find absolutely intriguing. We have that in the Pali, you know, the color Nila. You know, the Buddha's eyes you know, were, I think, Abhi Nila, and the hair is Ati Nila. This is kind of intensified. And often it's translated as blue. 
but the Buddha blue hair, blue eyes, and it would just about be possible, and it would be rare in India, but those days, and uh, maybe, but blue hair. And uh, I, I don't honestly know what kind of color an ancient Indian saw in Nila. It seems to be a kind of beautiful dark, if you wanted to translate it. This is the clouds are described, like probably rain clouds, like thunderstorm storm clouds, described as Nila. So they would perceive it as blue or Have you translate Nila? No? But, uh, blue is, again, not quite no, a heavy thundercloud. It's also not quite blue. And I noticed that some people, uh, the uh, the shed, for example, what is the color of that shed? Uh, some people say blue. Green. Some say blue. I have uh, uh, an amazing... But in any case, now just another example now how far we can train our perception, how far we can train what we like and dislike how far we can train what we enjoy or don't enjoy. And these uh, extreme examples are meant just to illustrate how trainable the mind is. Because often we have this preconceived notion, if I don't like an activity, then this is just as it is. It is ultimately in the Sakaya Ditti and a delusion of an utter. If there was an utter, you may have an unmovable likes and dislikes, but in reality you know, they're all conditioned. And every liking and disliking can be you know, reconditioned. You may hate getting up early, you know, but one can recondition oneself to love to get up at four in the morning. <laughs> but I never quite succeeded in that one. The conditioning process wasn't strong enough. But uh, it's amazing what one can do. And with meditation it's just very, very important to condition oneself you know, to like it and to enjoy it and to make sure you know, that one's meditation gives one a very pleasant feeling so that gladness arises more easily. I'll sum it up in you know, the description of the Buddha Pamajan Jayati, Pamutitasa, Piti Jayati, Piti Manasa, Kayo Pasambhati, Pasata Kayo Sukang Vidhiti, Sukino Chitang Samadhiati. The gladness is born, gladness arises. The, to the one glad, um, Piti is born, Piti arises. Uh, the uh, rapture arises, no, the rapturous mind leads to tranquility of the body, the tranquil, tranquil body experiences bliss, and uh, the person experiencing, experiencing bliss no, um, unifies the mind and samadhi. You know, I struggle a little bit translating it, uh, I never know should I translate it fully, literally, <laughs> a little bit uh, more freely. So it's also nice to look at the Pali there. Now this is such an important sequence. And the way how you can get into the gladness being born, there's different venues. Usually they all lead to a suppression of the hindrances. So you could say ultimately they're probably all a result of the hindrances being gone. But now how you can uh, 
abandon the hindrances temporarily. There are many, many kinds of different techniques. Classical ones is reflecting on your generosity and feeling so happy about it, recollecting the Buddha, recollecting your virtue, the devas, Dhamma, Sangha, listening to Dhamma. And listening to Dhamma, now that you get that kind of gladness. And then, of course, any of the meditation objects like loving kindness, Anapanasanti, and so on. Short comment on gladness, Paramodja, as a kosher starting point for the journey into samadhi. Because it can easily happen, I see that in my own mind, and when one continues hammering away, sitting and trying to extend the time on sits, trying to improve the posture. In the beginning, I worked a lot on the posture. Uh, sure enough, it was also necessary. I just couldn't really sit cross-legged well, and I couldn't sit even half lotus, really, in the beginning. Uh, but uh, it's not just getting into the perfect posture. Just recently, in one of the uh, in the young adult group at Bob's, there was one yoga teacher. One could see you know, the way she was sitting, uh, super flexible. And when I asked her, you know, how does it go when sitting, you know, she still finds it's difficult to sit for longer times. It's not the posture. You know, her posture is perfect. It's, you know, it's actually a mental thing that one wants to move and so on and can't fully settle in and the body is just not tranquil. At the same once with a male uh, yoga teacher you know, who could uh, do amazing flexibility of the body and stretches, but still found it difficult to sit in the same posture for a longer, longer period of time. As if you're really blissed out, suddenly it's easy. So it's not just about extending the time, it's not just about the posture, it's just not about whether you watch the breath on the tip of the nose or the tip of the lip or uh, abdomen coming up and down and so on. It's easy to get lost in these things. But uh, the uh, more um, general guidance around in the background, in which way you have to develop the meditation object with what kind of perception, with what kind of uh, attitude, with what kind of feeling. Uh, that one is so important, never to neglect that. Now the posture and how long you sit, now these are all contributing factors. It's somewhat unlikely that someone who can't sit longer than 10 minutes will attain deep samadhi. As someone who is able to sit for hours is more likely, and usually if someone does attain or can unify the mind in samadhi, they usually sit quite long. So it's not completely wrong, but this alone will not do it. And often our emphasis is on these things, just like I didn't recognize the 
profundity of the suttas because I wanted it more more clear cut and very concrete and instructions I can follow like yoga asanas and I get told exactly you know what it looks like and how you stretch your limb in which what direction. So it's so important that to not no harm if you try to encourage yourself not to sit longer encourage yourself not to have a good posture and you're working on that and with stretching exercises. I'm not saying this is wrong in any way, but that alone will not do it, usually. For some people, the rapture and the parmajanae arise without them doing anything special, but it still will arise and then that's a crucial contribution. So all these other things are important, but never know to neglect the whole setting, the surrounding setting, the attitude in the mind, the, the liking, liking your meditation object. And people usually don't work on that. They sit down, now I sit an hour, this is a resolution they make. My resolution is I sit an hour, my resolution is I sit half an hour every day. The resolution is not I really enjoy this meditation now. They don't make resolutions like that. So what I mean is not putting more emphasis on that. Just always flying on that, because I don't have to put much effort in, conscious effort. I can just keep letting go, keep letting go, but meditates a bit more sort of like conscious effort. No, even if you don't uh, use that much matter, continue, but continue your anapanasati. Uh, you have to look at the 16 steps the Buddha gave us. And one is Piti Patisang Vedi, Asasasamiti Sekati. Piti Patisang Vedi, Asasasamiti Sekati. Then one trains oneself, breathing in and out, experiencing uh, rapture. Another one uh, with Sukha, experiencing bliss. And another one, Abhipa Modiyam Chittam, exceedingly gladdening the mind I breathe in, exceedingly gladdening the mind I breathe out. So out of uh, 16 steps, uh, uh, three are completely just dedicated uh, to generating rapture, bliss, and a glad mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, Anapanasati is more than just uh, watching the physical sensation of the breath, it's much more. If you look at all the steps the Buddha describes, this is why it's such a complete and quite unique meditation object. But uh, some people may be stuck only in number one. So Satova Asasati, Satova Pasasati. The Buddha might say, no, this is Anapanasati, I'm not really saying it is not. <laughs> But, but it's obviously not fully developed. No? If you just mindfully breathe in and mindfully breathe out, it's a kind of anapanasati. It's the first step the Buddha gives. It's only the first of 16. So if you don't want to... I can fully relate to what you say. I also don't like that metta usually involves in the verbalizing so much. Yes, anapana can be fully quiet. But you may want to do more emphasis on... And, uh, I train myself breathing in, experiencing rapture. I train myself breathing out, experiencing bliss. I train myself breathing in and out, exceedingly gladdening the mind. Yeah. 
Uh, thanks for sharing that. And I'm happy you got exactly the point I tried to make. Almost ten past five. We can share merits with all beings. Uh, another activity which can arouse considerable gladness in the mind that we have done something good. Now we're looking back at the good you have done. I see you're already smiling. <laughs> Just me talking about it. And it's also very uh, enjoyable you know, to invite all these beings, even the sun and the moon, even Mara and his evil demons, and you share and give to them even. Yes, uh, thing in which can give us even more gladness. It's on page 33. Now the Tantras is a sharing aspiration. Bhagavato Sāvaka 
สันโ